0: Welcome to vicious talk with Benny P coming up episode 83 going to be our week four picks against the line as well as our daily fantasy advice her from fantasy football stuff bringing back my good friend and co-host Connor Larson welcome back buddy. Hey what's popping Benny? What's popping man before we get into it we've had a crazy week we're a little bit behind schedule We're we're, we're going to Catch up as best we can. We're just two guys, you know, living in this, war, this crazy little life of ours. And we've had a busy week. Connor got uh, a little bit under the weather. I've had a little bit of a crazy family week. Um, so we're trying to get this under and um, in, just in time for the week for Slate of Games. Tomorrow is Sunday. We're recording Saturday morning. Before we get going on week four, Connor, I want to touch briefly and quickly. I know, I mean, most sports fans have already heard all the analysis they could get for week three, um, but really, just a week that I had this, I had this ready to go earlier in the week in our podcast that we had to reschedule. So I wanted to say it. You know, it really reminded me of that Drake lyric in the Zero to One Hundred song. Oh Lord, I'm the rookie and the vet. You know, that <laughs> last week was 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 all about the rookies and the vets for me. It was like the rookies yeah. really disappointed. There was a couple of vets that we could get talked about with Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger specifically who really struggled. Russell Wilson had a little bit of a down week and the Seattle Seahawks lost. And um, really just a a week that was highlighted by some notable showings from rookies and vets alike. Um, And there were some vets that succeeded and we could talk about that when we get to the rest of the slate of games. But – any initial thoughts from the week three slate of games um, besides from, you know, just some some rookies and some vets really kind of disappointing us um, in their in their initial go-arounds I mean, in week three?
1: I mean, I was just so underwhelmed by the rookie class. I mean, I was so excited for Justin Fields. So uh, that was just such a disappointing show by the Chicago Bears.
0: Yeah. I mean, who do you play? I mean, there's been a Matt Nagy just – like pit, pitchforks and 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 torches, just <laughs> trying to completely just. There's a witch hunt out for Matt Nagy. First coach fired. I mean, he seems like a shoe in and it seems like the the zigging take on this, like the 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 different take with the Bears, is like trying to place more blame on on Justin Fields. Which I mean, there is there is blame. There's lots of blame to be go around in Chicago. I mean, Fields, you can't tell me you have one net yard and, and say it's 100 percent on your coach, like. Right. He wasn't ready to play. He wasn't, and and Nagy had been saying that. I mean, there was no, there was honesty there. Like Nagy said, Fields is not our guy yet. He's not ready, and he wasn't. But to go into that game with a full week of practice under your belt, knowing that Fields was going to be your quarterback, how do you not scheme up enough things to get the guy? I mean, at least moving the chains every once in a while. I know Cleveland's a good defense and they're a great team, but still, I mean that that was a. Horrific, horrific showing by the Chicago Bears last week.
1: Where were the designed runs? I yeah. mean, that's what he's been so effective with. And then you can parlay that into some rollouts, right? And get him throwing on the move. It seemed like he was just sitting in a pocket getting ready to be sacked by Miles Garrett every single play. Plus the the way the plays were designed, it oftentimes had him with his back facing the number one receiver, he should have been trying to target. And so he was just completely unprepared and the play calls were not setting him up for success. And obviously that O-line is still a huge problem. It was a problem in previous years and then it looks to still be a large issue there.
0: My God, when you look at these stats, six for 20 uh, on completions to attempts, it's a 30% completion percentage, 68 yards passing, 3.4 yards per attempt, no interceptions surprisingly enough. You know, no big time throws, average depth of target, 6.2 yards, a, 33 and a half, 33.3% adjusted completion percentage, no drops by the receiving core. You can't blame the receivers. I mean, really, I mean, a 41.3 NFL. I think we, passer like, his rating. we like his
1: weapons, right? right. We, we like Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, yeah. and David Montgomery. They all catch the ball well. They're all decently quick and athletic receivers, yeah so what the heck was going on there man when i yeah. <laughs> so i didn't watch this game because i had family over last weekend and when i checked on my phone and i saw justin fields had you know the 60 yards or whatever i assumed he got hurt in like the first quarter <laughs> I, I didn't he, realize he played he, a he would, full game i would have been better was like, off.
0: oh no he's injured for a good amount of that game <laughs> oh my I, I, God. i'm pretty sure he there was uh there's a there's a um, a net passer rating that 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 gives him a, would have given him a higher score had he just thrown every ball into the dirt instead of actually mm-hmm. trying to pass the ball.
1: Well, the nine, I mean, nine sacks, right? Yeah, <laughs> terrible terrible stuff Ooh. from justin fields and to think i was wondering if i could rely on him as my fantasy started <laughs> going forward thank god i didn't propose those trades sending out my number one qb <laughs> option so i was like oh fields is going to start he's going to take over that position maybe i just you know capitalize on it early he's gonna get plenty of rushing yards <laughs> thank god i didn't go through with that
0: yeah really seems like matt nagy in the offensive what the offensive coaching just really let fields in the offense down. Um, really just not a whole lot to be excited about. Chicago's really going to need to see some quick turnarounds, or Nagy is going to be out the door very soon. Um, other rookie quarterbacks really just want to touch on really quickly. I thought Zach Wilson, Wilson looked a little bit better last week. Um, I, I, I know they got shut out, what 26 and nothing against Denver, but he did show signs of some improvement and Trevor Lawrence as well. What I think we're going to see is these rookie quarterbacks, they're not ready. They're, just, they're not and we've had some recency bias where these some of these quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and who else am I, am I forgetting just like recent quarterbacks that Herber. have come Herbert right away just um even though played
1: well off the gate yeah.
0: they come right in and they and they they at least experience some success and some some glimpses of of you know some promise as a, as a young quarterback and Really, they set a precedent that is just not you can't meet that standard consistently as a rookie QB in this league. It's hard. It's hard to be a quarterback in the NFL. They're not yeah. these guys aren't ready. And I think the smartest team out there that got a rookie quarterback is the Niners because they're holding back Trey Lance and they're competing in football games with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I understand Jimmy G has his limitations, but he's gonna he's not gonna completely cap your your guys your guys' success rate. I mean, we already talked about this constantly in the preseason. Show uh Capadia with the athletic had a really good study in the preseason about rookie quarterbacks. Only 23% of them in the rookie years over the last few decades have only been just above average, just 23% of them. So it's not, it's not common for a rookie quarterback to come in and be an above average quarterback right away. And so it's going to take time for these guys. And from the card market perspective, I was, I was thinking about this the other day, it might be a buy low option window for some of these oh, guys, yeah. because I mean, a lot of people are going to sour on these guys pretty quickly. Look, there's going to be a few of them, at least a couple of them that probably flame out and and don't become, you know, consistent starting quarterbacks, but there's going to be at least two or three of these guys that end up starting for their respective teams for a good amount of time, I think. Makes sense. No, I think that's a great point.
1: Um yeah, I think what's interesting with this with this year's class is the guys we're seeing playing right now, they're in much worse situations than Justin Herbert when he came into the league or Patrick Mahomes when he came into the league. You look at the teams that those guys joined, there's a reason they had success right off the bat. And it's because those offenses were great. Mac Jones in the Patriots offense isn't fantastic. You know, he doesn't have the weapons that those guys had. Zach Wilson, his number one wide receiver is Corey Davis, right? So the situation here is much more unique. Urban Myers is not running a great organization <laughs> in Jacksonville and that in that Jacksonville Take the USC team. Job.
0: Take- USC (laughs) Jeb Urmeyer, like just
1: you don't you don't belong
0: in the NFL. It's okay. Like it happens. Like Nick Saban couldn't couldn't take in the NFL. Just like go to USC and and have fun there in Southern California. (laughs) You'll enjoy it more.
1: Jacksonville was one in fifteen last year, right? So these guys are joining horrific teams. So we shouldn't have expected them to light up the world right off the bat. These guys are going to have some flair because we know they're talented. They're going to have those games where they pop up and throw three touchdowns, 300 yards, but they're still going to struggle against the better teams in the league because they are on bad teams themselves. I think the guy we thought would possibly have the most success was Trey Lance because the San Francisco 49ers are the best built team around him with the best head coach the thing is we just haven't seen him get on the field but when he does take the field i think he will leave this rookie class this year just because he is in the best circumstance
0: i think i I agree with you there um i like i like the promise for mac jones to even turn around by the end of this season a little bit with the patriots because i think they i mean they at least are going to be trying to do some things that put him in successful situations just because that coaching staff is right there with the best in the league. I know Kyle Shanahan has a great coaching staff in San Francisco, but the Patriots are well known for theirs as well. All right, Connor, let's get to, I want to start a new segment for the going forward when we do our weekly reactions, let's do this quickly. You give a guy and I'll give a guy. We're going to do vicious players of the week. All right. Give me one player from last week who you just, you love the performance. They left it all out on the line. And on this podcast, we talk about this. The word vicious doesn't necessarily mean malicious intent. And and just, uh, it, has, it has a bad connotation by dictionary definition. But on this podcast, the word vicious means, you know, leave it all out on the line. Never, don't hold anything back. Give it everything you got. And just putting yourself out there to try to succeed at the best of in the best of scenarios who is your guy for the the vicious player of the week in week 3
1: i'm going to go with cooper cup he's been the vicious player of the season at the wide receiver position frankly <laughs> And he has been eating up every single Matthew Stafford target. He's clearly the one on that team outshining Robert Woods. And he really took it to the Tampa Bay Bucks last week. And that's the reason that the Rams are sitting number one in our power rankings right now. I got to give it up for Cooper Cup.
0: I love I love me some Cooper Cup. All right, my guy I'm going with. I know I really want to go with Josh Allen because that was a really impressive performance he had against Washington. Kind of proved me wrong in some of my handicapping. But, you know, I got to give it to Justin Tucker. 66-yard field goal, longest oh, in NFL history. Great pick. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when it went through the kick went went up and it hit the the crossbar leaped over the into the net I could not believe it happened um I I was watching with my wife at the time and I was like oh man the game's over I can't believe Baltimore lost this game Detroit's such a bad team I lost I had Baltimore in a teaser I was like man I thought that was a sure thing like I I hit every other leg in the teaser sure enough 66 yards it's up It's like, no way. It's sure enough, boom, it hits the crossbar. It's good. I could not believe it. Great kick. Unbelievable kick by Justin Tucker. Really solidifying. He's the best kicker of all time. Exactly. I was about to say that. He's literally solidifying himself as the best kicker of all time. It's incredible what he's doing. Um, Really have to give it to to the the kicker out of Baltimore. I I couldn't believe what he did last week. All right, Connor. Next segment we're going to get to. A new one here. One of my favorite sports movies, if you know me, uh, is, is The Sandlot i love the sandlot i grew up watching it constantly i've seen it probably more than any other movie in my lifetime i've seen the sandlot dozens and dozens of times one of my favorite quotes from there is you're killing me smalls all right we're talking about the you're killing me Smalls" segment here who was one player or, or players or, or institutions last week that really just killed you last week who was who is who are we talking about that really struggled give me one
1: I'm going to pick the obvious one, and it's Justin Fields, Matt Nagy, and the Bears. Um, for me, this one was personal. I have Justin Fields on all three of my fantasy rosters. He's on a bench on every single one of my teams. I kind of went with the strategy of he's going to be my upside play. He, you know, Back in 2017, I stashed Patrick Mahomes, or 2018, I should say. And he, it ended up lighting on the world on fire. I had two quarterbacks. Yeah. I was able to trade one, ride the rookie. I thought I could do that this year. Uh, With Justin Fields, that does not look like the case. He clearly does not look ready. And that team looks like it's a complete mess, complete letdown. I'm worried. I'm worried about that situation. I'm worried about his rookie season.
0: Yeah, I feel you with that. And I think that's the obvious choice here. I'm going to go with plan B, David Gettleman and the New York Giants. David Gettleman. Oh, you bastard. <laughs> that's why on Giants. <laughs> Look, the Giants really last week was their, their time to get, the, get that first win on the board. And the Falcons were trying to give it to them. Best of their, best of their abilities to just try to lose that game. And the Giants just pissed it away, man. Lost on the last second field goal. Now losing two weeks in a row on a last second field goal. Really just heartbreaking stuff and a gut-wrenching feeling for these fans. Connor being my my co-host here. Really, he's he, can't bird. he's giving me the double bird, the Eli Manning double bird over here. Go <laughs> <laughs> figure Eli Dude, was there. That was so funny that on air. Oh Eli was there God. at halftime, and they're uh, giving me the double bird. And Mara, uh, Mara <laughs> goes out there, the the team owner, trying to uh, give Eli like some award, and their fans are booing him like he's Roger Goodell at the NFL draft, like straight booing him. Bad look for the New York Giants in a bad place right now. Really tough to see how they climb their way out of this. Not a whole lot to be completely optimistic about just because they've placed so much capital and a lot of players that necessarily wouldn't be um, considered... Guys that other teams would be investing a whole lot in, like the guys like this, like Saquon Barkley. I guarantee you, they're probably going to be giving Daniel Jones an extension after this season. Um, there's a lot of just instances where the, I mean, they gave Kenny Galladay a ton of money, and they don't even use him in the deep in the deep throws. Like he, he's got one or two deep targets on the season. They're not even using him for the reason why they brought him. They not, they're not using him in the way that they brought him in here. They, re, they, they wanted to stretch a field with him, and they, they're not doing it. So, really, it seems like Jason Garrett is. On his last leg here, I think he's on his way out. He seems to be the scapegoat that everybody keeps pointing to. I think it's going to start with Garrett and it's going to trickle down and, and trickle up even. Um, and I, and you know a lot of people like Joe Judge, and I do too, um, to be honest. But really, just a lot to, to to reflect upon for the Giants. And David Gettleman is my number one, uh, my number one suspect here for the New York Giants. I just I I hate I hate what he's done with the Giants. The guy is not a modern NFL. Uh, executive he doesn't know how to manage a modern NFL team in today's league clearly just has a bad grasp of what me- what it means to be a successful franchise because this team this, this organization has just been the model of success for I mean, pretty much since the NFL has existed they've been one of the most successful organizations overall over the course of the history of the league and really hitting a low point right now. Um, and stuff (laughs) is New York fans, man, I feel for you. You got the jets, zero and three, the giants, zero and three, and really neither organization really being able to put much together right now. I'm sorry. At least least the Pats suck too. So (laughs) at least there's that at least you got the to fall back on. Just, just to
1: add to that. note, we took a a wide receiver in the first round (laughs) and I feel like he's been on the field for like three plays. Yeah. I I mean, Kadarius Tony is supposed to be this Tyreek Hill type
0: player and, bizarre where is he? how about that story well, we'll where he goes to the training before. camp he had one shoe he, it was a shoe, one of his shoes didn't fit and it, it's like he's doing ladder drills with one cleat on like and then he gets COVID and then he pulls his hamstring like ah uh, it's just been a what bad start doing? for the Giants here in the, uh, the 2021 season I feel like we should
1: season. be 2-1 that's the thing too
0: yeah. that's the crazy really, thing you could it. be. you really could be uh, and, and I don't think it's too late for the Giants to turn around but really I haven't liked what I've seen in terms of off- that offensive scheme and I think Jason Garrett needs to be the first guy to go because they need to yeah. have an overhaul of this offense here. Um, just not really playing to their strengths. All right, man. Last one we're into before we talk about the week four slated games. Who are, who is a post waiver wire pickup? We're talking about, um, you know, the waiver wires already run for your, after your week three, heading to week four, who's somebody you're heading into this week. Um, who's probably likely on an, of still available on a lot of free agent wires that you're considering, you know, maybe could be a, a, a bottom of your bench stash. You know, a lot of teams that have IR spots, if you have a guy declared out, you could throw this guy, you could throw an injured player or somebody who's declared out into your IR, pick up an extra roster guy. Who's somebody you're stashing heading into week four at the bottom of your bench?
1: I'm looking for Jeff Wilson, Jr. Uh, he's out right now for a couple of more weeks, but he's like a San Francisco one. running back that I think Shanahan will trust the most on this team. You know, Trey Sermon clearly didn't take over that backfield last hesitant. week.
0: He, he looked hesitant. Very last
1: hesitant, week. only 10 touches, maybe 30 yards. He ended up with a touchdown, which saved his fantasy day. Yeah. But, I don't think he's the long-term solution. Elijah Mitchell was a 6th round draft pick. They handed him the reins early, but obviously he already looks injury prone. If Jeff Wilson Jr. Can come back on the field, you know, Raheem most starts out. He could, I think easily head this backfield as he would be this most senior member, most trusted player. Plus we've seen that he's had fantasy success before. So he's out currently out right now in the IR for a couple more weeks. If you can stash him in your IR position, in your league, highly recommend that you do that.
0: I like that one. Um, and and I, nobody understands the value of Jeff Wilson Jr than myself i rode i rode Jeff Wilson Jr to an, a fantasy <laughs> championship last year finished strong in the season last season with the um, with the with the niners and rode him to an excellent fantasy finish For me, my post-wave-wire pickup here, I'm considering that. I've stashed J.J. Taylor with the New England Patriots on a couple of my benches. Really not a whole lot of value in in that James White role besides PPR and half-PPR formats. Um, But I mean, he he does seem to be the guy that might step up. I I don't really like the opportunity for Bolden. He's more of a special teams guy. I don't think he's going to be someone that the Patriots want to rely on heavily. Ramondre Stevenson already kind of got put into the doghouse after his week one fumble. I think the opportunity might be a little bit there for J.J. Taylor to get some of the passing down work in New England. If you're in a deep league, um, I think he could be a, an adequate value in PPR formats.
1: What's your take on possibly uh, having Ramondre Stevenson? You know, obviously three preseason darling, first, first or second play fumbles the ball.
0: Look, it's going to take some time for him to claw his way out of, the, uh, out of that doghouse. Bill Belichick really hates rookies that fumble. Um, and, and I think it was also some of his pass protection struggles as well, which is to be understood as a rookie running back. You know, really, pass protection seems to be um, one skill that a lot of rookie running backs struggle with. And um, I think Stevenson's going to have to have some excellent practices and excellent, you know, off-field work for him to kind of get back into those good graces with Belichick. We'll see if it happens. I think he the opportunity might be there towards the end of the season. But for now, I think J.J. Taylor might be the target to go after in terms of just a, a long shot hold here at the bottom of your bench is maybe the guy that kind of boosts his value I mean and, and also I mean to be honest I uh, actually stashed Kendrick Bourne too because I think he Kendrick Bourne might actually end up being the guy that gets more of that added short yardage receiving work um, and from a target pr- perspective as well so I think those two both from New England are, are guys that I'm kind of just considering as long shots to get those extra receiving work um, left behind with the James White injury.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly had a good game last week, so definitely yeah. a possibility.
0: All right, we'll get into our week four picks against the spread. Before we do some housekeeping stuff, we will talk about some trends uh, across the league. Typically, heading into you know the next week, we talk about you know picks, how, how you know specific splits are going against the spread, how over unders are doing. To start here, wanted to highlight you know away teams right now are covering fifty seven point one percent of the time against the spread. The, the underdogs right now, 63.3% of the time are covering. Road underdogs, 66.67% of the time they're covering. Road dogs are 20 and 10 against the spread so far. Keep an eye on that going forward. Um, I think there's some good opportunities for value. Well, well, you know, Vegas and their evaluations of teams adjust with more data. I think there's early season opportunities for some value with that. Um, Over under trends. Non overtime games have gone under sixty four point four percent of the time. That's still a significant split there. Uh I, I w- in general I would probably value unders right now still. All I mean, every game, including when you when you include the overtime games, I know there's four overtime games that all went over. You go down to fifty nine point two percent of games. So still a significant portion of these games right now are going under on their point totals.
1: Under and away dogs.
0: Yep. Keep an eye on that going forward. What we while we head into our picks against the spread here, um, definitely keep that in the back of your mind in terms of gambling values. Connor, we got sixteen, we got fifteen uh, games on our on our docket here. We're gonna talk about eight specifically. We're we're gonna split the the week in half. We're gonna put the rest of my notes up on the website for all things analysis for readers to look at. We got notes for every game. I got a pick against the spread for each of them. But just for the sake of time here, uh, we're gonna talk about our favorites on the podcast. Which one do you want to talk about first, Connor?
1: You want to jump into Cleveland, Minnesota?
0: Sounds good to me. we talk about Cleveland, Minnesota. The Browns are facing the Vikings here in Minnesota. The Browns are favored the road dog. I mean, the road favorite here, two and a half points. The over-under point total uh, is 51 and a half. Minnesota last week, they put the W in the win column for the first time this season against the Seattle Seahawks, one of their toughest opponents yet. Really had an impressive performance last week. People are starting to come around on that Minnesota offense and Kirk Cousins. Cleveland took care of business last week against a bad Chicago team. They rank right now. Cleveland ranks second overall in DVA They've had an impressive start. Seems like a good game here. Vikings, you know, have one of the best home field advantages, advantages in football. That Minnesota crowd gets rowdy. And the skull, the skull chant is back. And they, they they were showing it last week against the Seahawks. Had a great performance at home last week. From a gambling perspective, uh, Minnesota's losses to Cincinnati and Arizona in weeks one and two. We're coming in a little bit less um, damaging to the reputation. Cincinnati had the Thursday night victory already. They're three and one to start the season. They're looking, you know, adequate at the very least. The Bengals have been decent. Arizona Cardinals three zero heading to Week Four. They've been an excellent team in their own right, and, and the Vikings were right there in both those opponents. So they very well could be. I know they're heading into Week Four at the, with the one and two record, but they very well could be three and zero. So, what are your thoughts here with the Vikings taking on the Browns in Minnesota? <laughs>
1: I really like the way that the Browns have looked this season. Both you and I have them as a top five team uh to this point. Uh, and that running game is just incredible, whether it's Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. I feel like that's always going to be there and going to be the backbone of the team. It seems to be available. Even when they're down, they can use Kareem Hunt as, as, in a catch-up role. But we haven't really seen that this season because the defense looks fantastic, too. You know, that that defensive line is filled with, you know, number one for our first-round picks. Totally. It's a scary team to go against. So if they did can you see, see a pressure, did you see that I clip? think Kirk Cousins is going to have a tough time. Did you
0: see that clip with Miles Garrett where he was on the right? he was on the left side of the defender and then it just teleports to the right side that was insane oh, dude
1: what the <laughs> heck was that it
0: was incredible it was a superpower he just busted he out he disappeared on the right. yeah. he literally disappeared that guy is so quick um really the browns are a juggernaut of, of a team right now and you know i think this is gonna be a great game you know cousins right now has been excellent to start the year he has the number one passer rating in football when throwing from a clean pocket so Mm-hmm. This is going to be a great matchup because that's the one to keep an eye on, whether or not this defensive line for the uh, the Browns really pressures Cousins and vice versa, whether or not the Vikings defensive line is able to get pressure on Mayfield. Because I think both start to struggle a little bit more when they get, when they get the pressure and they get their feet moving. Cleveland right mm-hmm. now, their defense ranks first in team pass rush win rate at a 58%. So that's an ESPN stat. Um something to keep an eye on. That Cleveland pass rush has been really excellent. And the Vikings offensive line right now ranks twenty-second in pass block win rate, fifty-two percent. So Vikings are a little bit below average, Cleveland being the best in the league. That could be that could spell some trouble for Cousins here in the week. You know, Cousins and Zimmer. Reportedly, I don't know how to value this, but they reportedly have been having some regular meetings like on Thursdays to increase the communication, and the offensive schemes. I, I saw that out there and I was like, I mean, isn't that something you should be already, already have been doing? The Cousins has been there, what, three, four years at least? Like, how are they not communicating on a weekly basis? So that seemed kind of odd to me. Um, Cleveland, you know, heading into this game from a betting trend perspective, five and one against the spread in their last six road games. They're four and one against the spread in their last five games um, total. The total has gone over in five of the Vikings' last six games and eight of their last ten home games. Stefanski coming into Minnesota comes from that Mike Zimmer tr- coaching tree. Um, he should have probably have a good grasp of what Minnesota's going to try to do here schematically. I think this kind of bodes well for the, the Browns, but I think this is going to be a great game. I would not discount Minnesota. I would, I would expect this game to be close at the very least.
1: Yeah, I think what I like here is that I th- I think the Browns will be able to get pressure on Kirk Cousins, which is gonna make it difficult for those deep routes to Thielen and Jefferson you know, develop. And therefore he's gonna struggle a little bit. He's not a guy who can innovate with his feet and get out of the pocket and kind of come up with something on the run. Additionally, you know, Dalvin Cook is a little bit banged up right now. So there's a bit of a drop off to Alexander Madison if he's gonna get more work. I think that Minnesota could struggle to move the ball here a little bit. And that plays right into Cleveland's strengths. They like to be ahead. They like to run the ball. And that's kind of how I see this game going. I, I know that Minnesota has a lot of explosive weapons, so I don't think they're going to get blown out here. But a two-and-a-half-point line doesn't scare me uh, enough to be on Minnesota's side.
0: Yeah, so. I'm leaning that way too. And, you know, 62% of the public bets here have been on the Browns. Um, so really kind of seems like a square bet to take the Browns here. But And I've seen a lot of sharp handicappers Picking Minnesota here, Um, Minnesota seems like they have a good value. I mean, R.J. Bell is a really good handicapper. He made Minnesota his best bet of the week. Shio Capadia picked him, uh, the Vikings, in his picks against the spread column. Bill Simmons even had the Vikings in his uh, million-dollar picks on his podcast. I think the Vikings are an interesting play here as a sharp better, But I just think Cleveland's the better team. And really, while people keep highlighting the fact that Minnesota is going to need to pressure Mayfield. I mean, Anthony Barr's coming back, coming back this year. I thought it was going to be last week. It ended up being this week. He's going to make his season debut tomorrow, but it's been about a year since he took a live snap in a game. And he hasn't really been playing at all pro level since 2018. So I don't really know how, how, uh, how big of an impact he's going to have coming back from such a long extended absence. I love Anthony Barr. came from the same high school as myself. I think he's a great player. Um, But really, I I mean, Cleveland, Cleveland's, I think I'd be able to protect Mayfield well enough. And and I think what's good, the key is going to be, like you said, Cream Hunt and Nick Chubb. Cleveland's offensive line is second in adjusted line yards right now. They've been excellent at run blocking, but they rank 30th in pass protection and adjusted sack rate. So that's something to keep an eye on. If Mayfield is forced to throw, then they could be in trouble. If the Vikings get out to an early lead, that's going to be the key for their success on the game, I think, because if Mayfield's forced to throw the ball... I think um, you know, if the Vikings pass rush is able to get to him, that's when the Browns might be in a little bit of trouble. For now, I think this game bodes well for Cleveland. I lean minus two and a half, but I think the best, the better bet here, is to tease the Vikings through the three and the seven, and and let let the Vikings get plus seven and a half. I think that's the best expected value play here from a gambling perspective.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting move. I kind of like that. You know, gives yourself a little bit more cushion.
0: Yeah, that's what I would do here. If I had to play this one for, um, and put some personal dough on it, I'd probably play, I'd probably tease the Vikings up to plus eight or plus eight and a half. All right, let's talk about the uh, next game up on our on our highlighted docket. The Carolina Panthers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Excellent game here. Panthers heading into this week four matchup with the number one overall ranking in DVOA. Panthers have been an excellent surprise to start the year 3-0. But two of their three wins were against the New York Jets and the Houston Texans with Davis Mills. The other win in week two was against a New Orleans team that almost had all of their offensive coaches in quarantine from a COVID outbreak. So some things have broken the Panthers way in a positive sense for them. They have no Christian McCaffrey in this one, their best offensive weapon. Do you think the Panthers are going to be able to move the football well enough to keep up with Dallas's offense in this game?
1: no i do not no i I really like dallas this year i like the way they've looked they've been competitive in every single game uh you know Dak looks healthy that running game finally looks alive as well so, uh, you know, the, while the Panthers' defense has looked fantastic, I'm still not completely sold on Sam Donald. I do think he's not a bad bench dash in fantasy, but still, you know, we have a, a four-year history with him not being that great of a quarterback, and then you take away the top weapon. Uh, Chuba Hubbard is decent. He looked good filling in for McCaffrey but he's definitely not McCaffrey still uh, Robbie Anderson's <laughs> obviously they haven't figured that out so you know I think this team is overly reliant uh, in this game on DJ Moore and if they're going to be more one dimensional it makes it a little bit easier for the the opposing defense to slow them down
0: I agree I agree I look the Panthers defense has been excellent they're first in way right now On defense, but they've also, you keep this in mind, they've faced the 30th ranked schedule of opposing defenses so far. They haven't faced a good offense. This is easily their best offensive offensive they've faced so far in the season. And the Dallas offense ranks sixth in DVOA, second in overall success rate. 59% of their plays overall are successful on offense for the Cowboys. J.C. Horn, the rookie cornerback who was excellent to start the year, goes out to, I think he's out for the season now. They go out and acquire C.J. Henderson from the Jaguars, or C.J. Anderson? Anderson, Henderson, here. Henderson? C.J. Henderson coming into Carolina. Kind of a worrisome move because you understand, like, it was kind of a desperate play. They traded Dan Arnold, who is probably someone who is valuable in that offense for the Panthers, but. I think that having a good cover corner was crucial for this defensive success, and they panicked when J.C. Horn got out, and they needed something to back him up, and they went out and got uh, you know, someone who was a first-round draft pick last year but has been highly disappointing to start his year in Henderson. Um, we'll have to see how that impacts the defense here, I, and I think it's, there's going to be a Justin Pier- period here. I don't know if Henderson's going to be playing much in this game. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of Shaq Thompson. Shaq Thompson has been excellent, one of the top-ranked top defensive players in football to start the year uh, through the first three games. He's been like their main difference maker for the Panthers, and he's, he, on, the def- on the defensive side, he's being used in so many versatile ways, uh, in so many different ways. It's been pretty impressive and interesting to see what the Panthers have been doing with him and their defense overall, but nothing is more epitomized then the Shaq Thompson usage. He's been used as a pass rusher. He's been dropped into coverage. He's occasionally used as a single high safety at times. He's like, what, 6'2", 225? Big dude, but like versatile body and has been the big difference maker for the Panthers. Keep an eye on him against this Dallas offense. That I think it's going to be an excellent matchup to keep an eye on that Dallas offense versus the Panthers defense because two really good units in their own rights to start the year. We'll see which one comes out on top on Sunday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's gonna be a decent matchup, um, but you know that that Cowboys offense
0: is just uh, a lot of fun. They're dominating right now. The Dallas Cowboys is yeah. dominant on Monday Night Football. They took care of business against the division opponent, Philadelphia Eagles, last week on Monday Night Football. They won forty-one to twenty-one, perhaps the Dow- Dallas's most impressive game thus far. And I know they they beat a really good Chargers team the week before. Had a good performance against the Tampa Bay Bucks in week one. Cowboys really look like an impressive team right now. Look destined for that NFC East crown. I was going to say
1: they're the clear top of the class in the NFC East sure. with Washington and the Giants struggles, and obviously they just took it to the Eagles. So I think they're the team to beat there. And look, look playoff bound for all the Dallas Cowboys fans who yeah. haven't seen them in the, in the playoffs in a while now. Yeah,
0: for me. I think this is one of my best bets of the week. I'm going Dallas minus four and a half. They're, Dallas, the Cowboys, are, they're six and one against the spread over their last seven games. The total has gone over in nine of Dallas's last 11 home games. This one is in Dallas. You know, I think Dallas right now, their offense is rolling. I might I might go with, a I might think there might be a correlated parlay here. Dallas minus four and a half and the over 52 and a half. Because I think Carolina's game plan to win this game has to be slow it down and slow down Dallas's offense. So if you like Carolina, I think maybe it correlates to the under. I'm taking Dallas and I think it, I think it correlates to the over on the point total. I also kind of, I, you know, this is the best opponent that Carolina has faced all season, easily. So I actually, I think it's gonna be the biggest test. I like Dallas in this game a lot. I think they could win big even. So I actually kind of like the alternate spread option to get Dallas down to like minus five and a half. That's only one point different. You get even odds there. You don't have to pay any big, Seems kind of worth it just kind of based on how insignificant that number five number is and from a gambling perspective, I might consider doing that if you're going to place games uh, a bet on here on, on just a spread straight up.
1: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I I think your correlation uh, is right on because the Panthers strength is obviously that defense based on all the statistics and performance year to date. So if that defense is legit and that's the that'll be the reason they win, uh, then they're definitely going to more likely be on the underside. Uh, Whereas if the the Dallas Cowboys offense kind of keeps rolling uh, with 30, 40 point games, the the Panthers are going to be forced to be playing some catch-up there and, and will likely hit the over on the game total. I agree.
0: All right, next matchup on the docket, Kansas City Chiefs at the Philadelphia Eagles. The spread here, Kansas City Chiefs minus seven, the over-under point total, 54.5. Kansas City last week dropped to one and two, losing to the Chargers, and they've now lost two in a row Crazy. dating back. They, they, they lost to the Ravens in week two. First time in the Mahomes era. We saw this all week. The first time in the Mahomes era that they had a losing record, the Chiefs. And the first time since 2015 that they were last in the AFC West standings. Crazy stuff here happening for the Chiefs. Everybody, you know, considered them the Super Bowl favorites heading into the year. Troubling start here for the, the Chiefs. Their defense has been their their the backbone here. The, the, well, not necessarily the backbone. The, the thing that's been breaking the camel's back. Um, really just disappointing showing. Their that, Achilles their heel. Their Achilles heel. And... Philadelphia, though their opponent comes into this game, they got worked on Monday Night Football. We talked about that with the Cowboys in the last game. Two teams kind of desperate for a win here. What are your thoughts with this Chiefs Eagles matchup?
1: I'm I'm going to take uh, a little uh, something out of the playbook of Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> R-E-L-A-X. Relax, okay? (laughs) This is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, they're right there. If if it wasn't for a fumble from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they would be uh, back at 2-1-1. We'd be all comfortable, you know, not a big deal. They played a good game against the Los Angeles Chargers, who by every metric last year, way underperformed their record. We know they're a good team on the uh, coming up. So a difficult matchup for them. I still like them. They still have Patrick Mahomes. They're going to figure it out. Clyde edwards Hiller actually looked good last week with 100 rushing yards. So I think the Chiefs will be fine. Okay, they're still a top three team in my book. I think it's, I think it's right now the Bucks, Rams, and Chiefs still.
0: Yeah, I mean this is the most adversity that Mahomes and Andy Reid have faced together. Coming off of two losses, they lost a Super Bowl. So three, if you want to get back to the last year. Or actually, never. They 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 won in week one. So three of their last four games, though losses. This is the most adversity they faced as in their throughout their time together. So, I think you know, I think there's a chance to come out to this game and just they're hungry for a win. I think they win big in this one. If I had to bet, um, I I would be de- I would be deadly afraid to bet against the Chiefs with coming off of the two losses. You know they need a win. I would be so afraid to pick the Eagles here. I I think that everything kind of bodes for the the Chiefs here they're the uh, the road favorites the games in philadelphia so keep an eye on that i mean uh, home underdogs have been winning i think like 57 percent of the time against the spread so there's some value possibly there but i think this kind of bodes well for the chiefs they're just they're so desperate for a win And, and you know a lot of people have been starting to pick up Jalen Hurts is a good he's a great teammate good fantasy qb but he still has some developing to do from an nfl quarterback perspective in terms of team success Many have started to pick up. He's kind of like a one read, one read guy. He either hits his first target or, or he scrambles. He's lean. He's leading the league right now in, in, in scrambles 15 through the first three weeks. It's not necessarily, it's not, it's not a good trend. You don't want to be scrambling five times a week. Um, and you know, he, he's, he's being forced to use his legs because he's been inaccurate with his throws. His adjusted completion percentage ranks 25th in the league right now. Just completion percentage being the percent of ain't passes thrown on target. Um, and I you know Hertz has been struggling with throwing the football so far and he's not really progressing through his reads very well. You know with the Chiefs defense and their secondary specifically being their their Achilles heel being the problem with the with this team, the same weakness is on the other side matched up against them um, for the Eagles. And so I think this bodes well for the chiefs. Uh, their offensive success rate has been excellent. their offense is still clicking. their 60% success rate number ranks number one in the league on offense. It's been really good. You know, the Eagles are the most penalized team in football this year. They have 35 penalties. That's seven more than the next penalized, most penalized team. Eagles have been, you know, been unorganized to start the year, to say the least. I think they need some more time to kind of gel together with the new coach, with the developing quarterback. Hertz has only played, what, seven, eight games. We, we forget that sometimes. He came into the uh, into the starting role late last year. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in Chiefs minus seven in this game.
1: Let me ask you about the uh, the Eagles offensive strategy in this one, because last week they had three designed running back runs. You know, Miles Sanders, two for 27. Gainwell had another run himself. What the heck is going on there? You know, obviously they were very successful in those runs. I don't think it sets Jalen hurts up for success in this game. You know, they get the chiefs who obviously, you know, it's very easy to run the ball on them. How, how did the, uh, the Eagles attack the chiefs here? Do we see more of a balanced approach or is it one of those situations like last week where they get down so early that yeah. they completely abandon the run?
0: No, that's the key. The early, the early game script. And I think that's what the, the chiefs thrive getting out to those early leads. They, that's when they're at their best, when they get out to the big leads to start the game. Um, and I think you're right. you hit the nail on the head the The game script just was terrible for the Eagles last week um and, and they they fell behind early and they were forced to pass the ball. But when you look at just their their personnel groupings as an offense, it's interesting to when you look at you know they're they're running the ball a lot out of heavy personnel with with two with two tight ends, but their success their success rate with two tight ends is only forty three percent running the ball, but they're running their ball sixty eight percent of those plays. When you look at their 11 personnel, I mean three wide receivers spread formation, um you got one receive one one running back in the backfield, you're expecting the pass and then they, they run the ball 43% of the time, but they're successful on 70% of those 43 42% of the runs. So 46 46 runs out of 11 personnel, 70% success rate, 6.2 yards per carry, three touchdowns. Those are good stats. Those are good splits. I think I Look, the Eagles—they can't fall behind early. That's the key. But if they—if they're able to stick with the Chiefs, if they're able to stay in this game from an offensive perspective, they need to be running more eleven personnel. They're running the they are using eleven personnel 64% of the time. League average is 58%. So they're already using it above average. But you look at the teams that have uh, used the most eleven personnel right now—the Bills, the—the—I mean, go figure—the the Lions right now. Number one in eleven personnel is the Chiefs. I mean, not, not the Chiefs, the uh, the Colts. The Chiefs use it a lot in their own right, too. So 62% of the time. But um, I, th- I think running the ball at 11 personnel is an excellent excellent thing to get into. I mean, the Colts use it 11 personnel. They use it 84% of their plays. They, they're successful in their runs 58% of the time out of those 11 personnel runs. So, you know... It kind of gets the back to that modern trend where, when you think the offense is looking like they're gonna pass, you run, and when they look like they're they're gonna run, you pass. It's that simple. The defense isn't expecting it, and that's when you that's when you're most successful. Successful as an offense, when you keep the defense on their toes, doing things that they're least expecting.
1: And if you think about it critically, it makes sense, too, if you look at their running backs, right? Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell are, are a little bit on the smaller side, and they're shifty quick backs. Need you know, more Miles Sanders oftentimes leads the league in explosive plays. So when you want to create space, you don't want a stacked box. You don't want the tight ends in close to the line. And, you know, having just a heavy line with a lot of blockers, you want open space, so you want to spread it out in those three wide receiver sets. You know, this isn't Derrick Henry, who's mauling people over and chugging along for five yards these are the guys that need to get out in the open field so you're absolutely right and so i mean if you just think about it logically or analytically it makes a lot of sense so they definitely should be using that option more and if you know if i'm nick sirianni this is what i'm I'm telling my oc
0: yeah and and really the key is going to be who who jumps out to that early lead if the Eagles are able to stick stick in the game for the first couple quarters heading to the half, if they're within one score, I would say, um, you know, that bodes well for them. And, and I think they have a good opportunity to cover if they're still within like a field goal heading into the half. I think that's a good a good sign for them. But I think the Chiefs come out firing this one. I would not be surprised to see, you know, some big plays at Tyreek Hill or another receiver, maybe even Travis Kelsey. Um. I, I, look, I, I think they quiet lately. I think they're going to be stretching the field right here with the Chiefs. They want to come out, make a statement, win, uh, show that they're still the 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 the, uh, the beasts of the West. Um, and you know the, they were the Super Bowl favorites heading into the year. And this is a great time to put a Super
1: Bowl bet on them right yeah. before they take off because they're one and two right now. I don't think they're going to have a losing record at any other point in the season.
0: Probably right. All right, Connor. Let's talk about the next game on our docket. You're taking the Chiefs minus seven as well. By the way.
1: Yeah, I'm going to take the Chiefs minus
0: seven. If I can,
1: I want to tease it down to under that uh, yeah. touchdown. You know, if they win everybody, by a touchdown. But.
0: Everybody and their mother is going to be teasing this game. Right. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the next game here. Arizona Cardinals taking on the Los Angeles Rams. The spread here, the Rams are favored by four and a half points. I've seen a lot of live movement with this one. I've seen it up to five and a half. I've seen it down to three and a half. Kind of a, that that settled into that sweet spot. Four and a half is the spread here for the Rams. The over-under point total, 54 and a half. This is one of the best games of the week. The Rams are third in DVOA right now overall. Cardinals are fourth. Two really good teams. Top five teams in DVOA rankings. Rams right now, they've leapfrogged to the top of many power rankings. My own own included um, after that statement win against Tempe Buccaneers. I think the Rams are the team to beat right now in the NFL. What are your thoughts heading into this matchup? Two excellent teams heading into week four.
1: I have to agree with you. I mean, we love the launch, Los Angeles Rams coming into the season. I would, I did, on my Vicious Pod takeover episode with David, I highlighted them as one of my favorite long shot Super Bowl uh, plays because they weren't a top five team in Super Bowl odds. And you know, I love the roster that they put together. Sean McVay's been to the Super Bowl with a much worse quarterback in Jared Goff. This defense is otherworldly. Stafford's looked great, and obviously, Cooper Cup, who I highlighted earlier, looks like the best wide receiver. In league and so i definitely think that this run is going to continue i, I love the rams you know and they're, they're going to be the number one team in my power rankings too
0: yeah i, I just, i'm really looking forward to watching this game i i think I, I think the rams are the best team in the nfl right now though i i just they've looked so good and the cardinals last week that win against jacksonville the final score doesn't really suggest how close of a matchup it ended up being i think what the rams i mean the cardinals won what like 34 to 19 or something like that or some 20 something um they won by i think more than 10 points and so, so the cardinals demonstrated some poor game management really they, they had that long field goal at the end of the first half they got uh, returned for 109 yards by jacksonville's agnew to close out the half really like swung the momentum against the cardinals heading into the second half and um really just a bad decision by cliff kingsbury and the, and the cardinals offensive staff um I think that the, the 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 cards still have some developing to do on the coaching side. I think that's definitely the biggest mismatch here between these two teams, and really the Cardinals' offense has been re- revolving around Kyler Murray and his ability to just make stuff happen. Um, and it's been different receivers here and there. I really like Rondell Moore. I like Christian Kirk this year, um, but you know Hopkins doesn't match up well against Ramsey for whatever reason. You know these two guys have matched up often, dating back to the Jacksonville Houston days. Ramsey kind of typically puts puts the gloves on on Hopkins. And so look to the performances of Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore and AJ Green to kind of indicate how this offense is going to be ticking because it's going to be a lot of the the pressure and the weight of this game for the offense is going to be put on their shoulders. And we'll see if they're able to handle it. I, I think this Rams defense kind of stifles theirs on offense just a little bit. And enough for this for the Rams offense on the other side of the football to take care of business. I mean, Stafford has been all, everything, everything promised and more. Uh, coming from that golf era, Stafford has just opened up the playbook tremendously for the Rams. They're they're trying new things. Like you talked about, uh, they talk about how Cooper Cup is running like new routes. He had that route where he had like he ran in, out, in, in the back, out, in, his, in the touchdown grab last week. Kind of like a a unique, very interesting route that he looked like he was wide open by 10 feet. And he created all this space with a route that's not typically run very often. And um, they're just trying new things with the Rams. And we're putting Cup in the backfield a couple times already. Stafford right now ranks second in NFL passer rating. Second in yards per attempt at 10. He's eighth in PFF's passer grade. Goff, by the way, 24th in PFF passer grading. The Rams are seventh in offensive success rate right now, fourth in pass success. They're third in success rate on third downs. They've been excellent on third downs. The versatility of this offense has just been what's most impressive. Cup's usage, he's been uh, 66% of the snaps have been from the slot for Cup, 32% have been out wide, and then he has the two snaps from the backfield, being used all around the field. And then you look at a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who would have had no role in this offense last year. Um, with Goff under center they were not stretching the field often last year and Deshaun Jackson just last week caught two long passes he had the 75 yard touchdown pass from Stafford last week that would have been Goff's longest completion since 2017. Goff has not had a 75 yard pass since 2017 so Stafford really just bringing a whole new dimension to this offense and it's been a joy to watch I think Stafford right now is probably the MVP MVP can't, number one candidate right now he's looked like it so him far. or
1: kyler on the other side of the field right True. i mean they both have been electric and i mean tom brady too has been and fantastic Derek so year, that's but... probably
0: the four you talk about Derek Carr, brady stafford and the, and, and kyler the two guys in this game you yep. know really fun game here. yeah i think that's a great point
1: i mean well, uh, there's a fun stat um i want to highlight too that goes directly to this matchup i know we have two three you know teams but obviously in the same division the Rams are eight and0 oh in their last match eight matchups against the Cardinals. And obviously, I think that that is hugely telling. yeah uh, that spans back to 2016. So that was even when McVeigh had Goff. Since McVeigh has come to the Rams, he's beaten the Cardinals every single time. Has anything really changed? Well, I think the Rams have only gotten better. So I think the matchup continues going the same way it goes. And not only do the Rams beat the Cardinals, but Stafford also beats the Cardinals. Yeah. Stafford has beaten the Cardinals in 2017, 2018, and 2020. And then in their 2019 matchup, they tied. So the, the, the Cardinals have not beaten Stafford since 2015, and they have not beaten the Rams since 2016.
0: Yeah. I think yeah, they, it's been all Rams lately, and and all all Stafford, and I think they have the most momentum going into this matchup. I have a hard time picking against them. I'd be so afraid they're kind of falling into that Chiefs territory where I know the Chiefs don't cover against the spread <laughs> very often, but it's so it's it's scary to bet against them, and it it it, 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 it puts uh it, it shortens your life like a cigarette takes away a day on your life or whatever it takes away a day on your life to bet against the Chiefs and the Rams right now. Um, it's really been hard to to pick against them and i i gotta take the rams minus four and a half and you know the rams if they are succeeding it kind of kind of bodes well for the over here the rams last five games have gone over on their point totals and if you like the cardinals you might want to pick the under because the cardinals four of the last five games have gone under and that's those are games where the cardinals have had some success so i think um that's kind of an opposite correlation here between the two teams. And I, I like the Rams and I like over 54 and a half. That's a high point total, but I re- I'm really hoping for a big game here.
1: Yeah. I'm completely on the same side I'm Rams all the way here.
0: Okay. All right. Next matchup here, the Seattle Seahawks heading into San Francisco, the Bay area to take on the San Francisco 49ers, Niners at home favored by two and a half points. The over under point total 52 Seattle last week they 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 lost to the Minnesota Vikings. Their backs are against the wall now, losing two in a row. They went back to week two when they lost to Tennessee in overtime. The San Francisco 49ers lost last week to a, a nail biting game in a nail biting game against the Green Bay Packers on a last minute, last second field goal from uh Mason Crosby for the Packers. You look at the betting matchup here, seventy three percent of public bets have been on Seattle. Is San Francisco the sharp pick here? What are the hopes here for the Niners?
1: San Francisco's looked fantastic and they've been dealing with, you know, a rotating crew of running backs, but Jimmy G's done enough to win. Evo Samuel Kittle and IUK has started to step his game up lately. So I like that offense and their defense. It's still very, you know, near the top of the league. I wouldn't say, you know, they're as good as they were two or three years ago, but still I think this is one of the better coach teams and and they don't really seem to bite themselves, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Really. Look, these teams are very evenly matched and it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, ten, Seattle's 10th in overall DVOA right now. San Francisco is 12th. Seattle you and what's interesting is the trends between these two teams and, and what they and they both have excellent first half stats. And I think this kind of makes my one of my best bets of the week here. The over in the first half. 26.5 is the over. It's plus 105. Both Seattle and San Francisco see a second half offensive efficiency dip. Um, there's both their success rate and their offensive offensive efficiency uh dip in the second half. They're both first half teams. And so who's who's heading into the second uh into the second half with the lead, I think, is going to be key. Um, because the first half is where these teams make their bread. And, you know, Seattle right now in the first half, they're first in EPA per play, first in points per drive, um, during those first and second quarters. And they've been excellent to start the games. But then there's in the second half. They're uh, one of the worst in the league in the second half. They, they're last in points per drive and 26th in EPA per play. Big drop-off. Seattle's defense has been terrible across the board. They're 30th in defensive EPA per play, 25th in percentage of percent, uh, possessions that end in a punt, and you know, they're allowing 21 points. Um, sorry, the, Seattle's they and they allow 21st in points allowed per game. They're 21st in points allowed per game. So um, the defense has been the achilles heel for the seattle seahawks and they've been they've been terrible and seattle's been excellent running the ball so i really like i like chris carson i like this rushing attack but you know the seahawks is the question is whether or not the defense is going to keep this game within reach for them because they've really been keep they've been costing them lately I mean, in the early going here for this season
1: yeah this is a really tough matchup you know two teams very like close in our power rankings and Oh it's I don't know, know what to do it this uh, it's, it's completely a coin flip. It's and a it's great a game. Stay away. That's why we got
0: to talk about it. But it's like, <laughs> this is one of those games that's really... It's, you got to stay away from a gambling perspective. That's two and two and a half is too close of a spread. Like, it could go either way here.
1: I think, and in, in just... I'm going to go back to it. In, in those coin flip games, I, I like to go... With oftentimes the quarterback, and you know, so I'm going to go with Russell. He's you know back against the wall, and this guy hates losing. So yeah. early on in the season, this team tends to perform well. I, I think he can he can get it done against San Francisco.
0: I feel you there. You know, Seattle. They've um, they, it's it was a bad time for them to lose two games in a row because they head into week three, weeks four and five now fa- scheduled to face the 49ers this week and the Rams next week. They're two main <laughs> two of their brutal. main primary. Uh, you know divisional opponents rivals and th- they're heading into that those matchups lo- while losing two in a row if they lose both these matchups in the next two weeks it's gonna it's gonna be tougher them to climb out of that hole. you
1: know with, with how russell was talking about all the issues in the offseason if he ends up you know saying some stuff in the media or some stuff leaks out about locker room, you could have a situation unlikely. It happened in Seattle because, you yeah. know, it's one of the better run organizations, but they did show some cracks in the off season. And there yeah. could be some signs that team is breaking that's early something, on this year.
0: That's something Bill Simmons was talking about on his pod this week. He was like, well, what? there's all these rumors with Deshaun Watson, possibly going to Miami. Where's the Russell Wilson rumor that might develop here. If they lose <clears> the <throat> next two games, Russell Wilson trade rumors might be might be going. They might be circulating. I, so. I think it's
1: important to bring up. He, you know, he's obviously wasn't satisfied coming into the season. And if they get off to a poor starter,
0: yeah. it, it could be bye bye. Did you see some of the postgame press conferences in the last game? P- Pete Carroll was talking about in the overtime uh drive with the Seattle Seahawks. They 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 think they went three and out, or they 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 ended up punting in the overtime possession that they had. They um Wilson tried, and on the first down throw, he he tried to hit Lockett in the corner and Lockett ended up catching it out of bounds. And and Carroll really questioned his, his decision. He said he thought Russell Wilson should have checked down. And then they asked Wilson about it. And Wilson was like, he kind of danced around it. But he essentially got back to, the, you know, I'm, I like the play. I like the read there first down. I like my guy Lockett. I wanted him to make a play and carol wanted him to check down carol's just kind of more conservative than russell wants to be i think and and i think that that clash of mentality that you know offensive belief i think is going to end up both end up causing a a split between these two coach and coach and quarterback
1: you think it's kind of like a a brady in new england where he was there for a long time but you know russell kind of wants to get out of there and let it fly
0: possibly quite possibly and, and, you know, the history of these two teams with the Niners and the Seahawks, the Seahawks have won 13 of the last 15 games straight up against the Niners. So the, it's all been, it's been all Seahawks over recent years. They're 6-1 and one over their last seven against the San Francisco 49ers. The total has gone over in five of the last six games between these two teams. So there's been a lot of points scored between the two. Four of San Francisco's last five home games have all gone over. I think this really all bodes well for the first half. Over 26 and a half. That's one of my better bets of the week. I really like the first half total here between the two teams. I think they both bring it early because they both need the win here heading into week four. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
1: I like that overplay for sure.
0: Yeah, such a such a tough matchup. And if you want to find some other value betting on this one, you might just go with the Seattle money line plus 105. That might be the better value instead of trying to take the spread here. I think if if Seattle wins, I mean, if Seattle covers the spread, I think they win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good bet too. I like Seattle to win the game. All right, Connor. Let's get to our next matchup here. You, are you So you're taking the Seahawks minus two, um, plus two and a half? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think in terms of uh, just picks against the spread, I might just take the Niners minus two and a half. I think it's too close. It's this coin flip. I just might take the home team here. Alright, next matchup. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Green Bay Packers. In Green Bay, the Packers are favored by 6.5 points. The over-under point total, 45.5. Pittsburgh, one of those teams this week that just got dragged through the mud. They lost last week to Cincinnati. They spent the whole week in sports media just completely bashing Ben Roethlisberger in this offense in Pittsburgh. Been a, a complete train wreck to start the year for them really struggling to move the football. Green Bay on the other side, you know, avoided disaster last week. They beat the San Francisco 49ers on that last-second field goal. They were really close to going down 1 and 2 on the season and after that week one disappointment, the week two kind of, you know, Detroit was in that game against them in week 2. Week 3, they needed a big victory and they they were able to squeak it out, but are, were you impressed by the Packers? Do you think this is going to be a close game or or is Pittsburgh just so disappointing that Packers should easily cover here. What are your thoughts?
1: I think there's a big issue in Pittsburgh with that offense, and if Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones play the way we know they can, which is going to be difficult because we still believe in Pittsburgh's defense. Um, But I think that if Green Bay gets out to any kind of lead, it's going to be tough for Pittsburgh to come back with the state of that offensive line. Ben's not throwing the ball deep very often. Um, You know, Deontay Johnson's got a bad knee, and Niaji Harris has been completely ineffective on the ground. So you can't really set up the play action pass. You know, luckily he got targeted 19 times last week. So it kind of saved his fantasy value, but that team's offense is completely discombobulated and big Ben looks washed up. So I could see that. I I think that if green Bay does win, I think they do win by a, a decent amount because I don't think Pittsburgh will be able to keep up, but on the other hand, if it ends up being a low-scoring game and a defensive matchup, I think you know the correlation would be Pittsburgh and under, or Green Bay and over.
0: Yeah, look, Rob, you got to touch with Ross, Roethlisberger to kick it off here. Roethlisberger looks toast. They're so he's so bad. He looks like he's he's got cement shoes. Like he can't move. Uh, his feet are too heavy. And P- <laughs> PFF ranks him as the seventh worst passer on the season so far. You know he's ahead of Zach Wilson. He's behind Taylor Heineke. Two guys. You don't really, if you're an all time great like Ben, Ben is and has established himself as, you don't want to be compared to Zach Wilson, as a rookie and Taylor Heineke, who is a backup quarterback. I like Heineke, but he, he, Roethlisberger has higher ambitions than Taylor Heineke. Um, he's thrown the second most turnover worthy plays. Roethlisberger, he's thrown six turnover worthy plays. He's got the third lowest average time to per dropback, so that trend where he's trying to get the ball out quickly is still continuing. Two point four one seconds. Per drop back to get the ball out he's got the lowest adjusted completion percentage on balls thrown 20 or more yards 23.1 percent completion percentage when you have guys like Deontay Johnson Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool these guys want to stretch the field and they can't that's he's he's got a 1.9 percent lower completion percentage on those deep passes than the second worst quarterback who is Jared Goff he's second worst he's got the second worst NFL passer rating on those deep passes so He's got the 7th lowest average depth of target, seven, 7 yards average depth average depth of target. They're stuck in a mud here. This offense can't stretch the field. And when you have – as a defense, you have everything in front of you. You don't really have to worry about things behind you. It makes things a lot easier. He's attempted to – the fourth most <laughs> passes um 0 to 9 yards 130 passes but PFF ranks him so that's their that's what their bread and butter is going to be their short passes but PFF ranks him as the third worst passes on those throws so even the things that they're trying to do he's not doing successfully what what's there to be encouraged about with Rossberger like wh- what i mean it, it can't even finish the season at this rate it's been terrible
1: it's been more of what we saw at the end of last season when they kind of went uh, downhill after their early uh, undefeated start, where their defense had carried them. Their offense became completely one dimensional and predictable. It's been a, co- a lot of short passes, and that allows the other team to stack the box and stop the running game. And when there's no threat of an accurate deep pass, Yeah, You know, it it becomes very one-dimensional for the other team and very predictable, very easy to stop.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What's funny enough, too, is, you know, Big Ben and the passing attack has been terrible, but that's not even their biggest, the most troubling concern. It's their rushing game that's really been killing them. They're currently ranking dead last in success rate on rush attempts. Just 30% of the rushes have been successful this year. Their offensive line... Horrendous, and and, you know one of the one of the reasons the offensive line ranks thirty second adjusted line yards, Football Outsiders metric, thirty second that's dead last, and they're not moving. They're not moving the, uh, the in the trenches, and you know one of the reasons why this team is so bad at running the football is because. They just have the wrong personnel to be a good rushing team. I don't understand why they brought back Juju Smith-Schuster. I I get it. He's a team guy, someone who's a good locker room presence, someone who you like as a franchise. But they this team is not built to have three good receivers. They don't all need to be on the field. When you look at especially the, person- like the
1: way they use him, you yeah, know, that's the, that's the key. You know, if you're gonna spend that much money on the guy, you don't just only throw him three yard passes.
0: Yep, exactly. And and, and you know they have three receivers. Tomlin wants to use them all and, and have, have them on the field as often as possible. But they so they run out 11 personnel, I think, more, well more than half their time above league average because they have these three receivers. But they're, when they run the ball on 11 personnel, which is when a lot of teams have, have their most success running the ball, because we talked about it, they're spread out. The, te- the defense isn't suspecting it. They're only successful in 26% of those runs at 11 personnel. The Pittsburgh Steelers are terrible, terrible stuff. And then they're actually really good at running. They're, they're better at running the ball. And in 12 personnel, they bring in the second tight end. They have two tight ends, Ebron and Fryer. Fryermouth, the rookie, two guys who are serviceable tight ends, and they have a 50% success rate on runs in 12 personnel. Their offensive efficiency improves in general from 40% to 48% when moving from 11 to 12 personnel. They're better with two tight ends. And that makes sense because big Ben, he's slow with his feet. He he needs more time in the pocket. They need to block better for him. And the running backs need more blockers for them because their offensive line isn't getting it done with just the five guys blocking up front. So the offense is is super troublesome and they're just not really making the adjustments. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, in 12 personnel, you can't have all three of your receivers on the field, but if their offense doesn't improve, if they, if they want to improve the passion, they, they need to be, you know, kind of cycling out one of these guys. And it, and, and it might be even like a Patrick Ewing theory where, It's the Bill Bill Simmons coined Ewing three where, you know, addition by subtraction, you maybe if Smith Schuster or or Deontay Johnson or or Claypool, if one of them ends up getting hurt, they've already shaken off pre some early season injuries that actually might end up boding well for the offense, honestly. And, And you hate to say that, but it might be the truth here because this offense has just got a lot going wrong for them right now. And the personnel just doesn't seem fit to make it improve. And, You wonder if they should just trade one of these receivers. I think that could be a market as well.
1: They do. I hope they get a quarterback back or a, a first round draft pick or something because they need to figure out that position. The The thing is too, they, it's not like they have a decent backup that they could try out. You know, they have Dwayne Haskins, and Mason Rudolph, and we've seen both of those experiments not end well either. So, yeah, you know, I'm really worried about the quarterback position. If Big Ben can't get it right, I think Steelers are in a lot of trouble this season.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. But you look at it, let's get back to this Green Bay matchup. Look, look, Pittsburgh's offense has been terrible, but Green Bay's defense is easily the worst they face, they're going to face this year. You look at the first three first three opponents this Steelers have faced Buffalo ranked second in defensive DVOA. Vegas was 11th, and the Bengals are fourth in defensive DVOA. Packers 26th. So maybe the offense, you know, <laughs> while, while it's hard to, you know, be optimistic about their potential, the offense could look a little bit better this week just because based on their opponents so far, this is their weakest defense that they've faced so far.
1: It's it's a tough one because you know you had to ask yourself okay which which team is worse is it the Steelers offense or is it the Packers defense right now?
0: Yeah, the Packers and, have been struggling on the defensive side so.
1: For me, it's the Steelers' offense because they have yet to eclipse 23 points in the game. And it's not like we think the the Bengals or the Raiders are are world beaters on defense. You know, they only put up 10 points last week on the Bengals in a game where they lost by 14. So even in that situation, if they can't claw back and get some points, I'm definitely worried about the Steelers here.
0: Yeah, I feel you here. The six and a half point spread has me really looking hard at Pittsburgh, though. I mean, it's a big spread. And Steelers have won five of the last six matchups against the Packers. TJ Watt sat out last week. Looks like he's going to be back in week four. He's one of the best defensive players in football. A lot of him, um, he's been excellent for them. And then Cam Hayward's been excellent for the Steelers as well. Um, they have a good defensive side. They're good on the defensive side of the football. So the total has gone over between these two games, of these two teams, five of the last six games in their matchups has also gone over and of six of the like of Green Bay's last seven games. I think right now Pittsburgh is a team that this the public has flipped on really really fast and 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 quickly over the last three weeks. It, the disappointing start has been bad, and I, right now I would just I would remind you don't forget that Mike Tomlin's still their head coach. This team has a lot of veterans who are not unfamiliar with confrontation and how to overcome it. I wouldn't get crazy to say that they, maybe they win this game. But they're a, team that it, they're, they're a team that's not doing a whole lot of good at the moment. But six and a half points is a lot to give a team that's you know less than a month ago. They beat the Buffalo Bills straight up in week one. In week, so this team knows how to compete. The question is whether or not they cover the spread. I, I take Pittsburgh plus six and a half because, look, the, the Packers, what have they done to be impressive? They lost that embarrassing game in week one. They barely beat the – well, they didn't barely, but the Lions were in a lot of that game in week two. And then they won on the last second field goal last week just because the Niners couldn't manage the clock and late in the game because Juszczyk should have just taken a knee at the goal line instead of running it in. And that really ended up being the game. So the Packers really gotten fortunate in their two wins so far. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not optimistic. I'm not like encouraged by the Packers. I don't think they're a, a team that is, is, you know, humming right now. They're not, they're not peaking at this moment in the season. So I think Pittsburgh could cover this six and a half spread.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, For me though, I'm still on the Packers. I'm just not convinced that the Steelers can score enough points. If, if the Packers get over 26, I just don't know if the Steelers can match that type of output.
0: I feel you. And that's a tough, that's a tough spread there. Um, If Pittsburgh, They've been bad. So I don't hate you. There. I don't I don't I don't blame you for that for that pick, but I'm going Pit Pittsburgh plus six and a half.
1: All right. My thinking is that like, you know, week one was more of an anom- anomaly against the Bills because, you know, you give Mike Tomlin a great head coach Months and weeks to kind of think about what's the game plan for week one, and they had a a unique setup for Josh Allen, and they really did a lot of things that he struggled with. You know, as the season progresses, you don't have the ability to kind of put that much on your coach and scheme up. It, it, it comes down more on the players, and I'm just worried about Ben Roethlisberger at this point.
0: For sure. All right, ready to talk about Sunday Night Football? This is a big one. Oh yeah, Sunday Night Football. Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading into New England. Tom Brady's homecoming. The Bucks are favored by seven here. 49 and a half is the over under point total. The homecoming for Brady. Bummer that Gronk can't play. He's officially declared out with the ribs injury. Um, I don't think I've ever been more interested in seeing non-football aspects of a regular season game. But by that, I mean, I can't wait to see how Brady is embraced by New England, by Robert Kraft, their coaching staff, the, his former teammates, the fans, but most importantly, Bill Belichick. A lot of stuff has been developing in in the sports media lately. The landscape of the media about the storyline between Belichick and Brady, and maybe it wasn't all you know roses and and daffodils. Like maybe there was a there was more confrontation than meet meet that met the eye between these two. And there's that book coming out. Uh, Wickersham wrote it's better to be feared. I- I'm really looking forward to reading it. Dives more into the relationship between Kraft, Brady, and Belichick, and really. It sounds like there was a lot of craft babying brady and took brady's side often and belichick being the stubborn he's kind of a dick he's kind of a he's kind of an old old fart who grouchy, stubborn old, man. grouchy old guy and <laughs> I'm, i love it, I'm, the jokes during the
1: press conference though
0: yeah <laughs> i'm so super going on this week or uh <laughs> right I, i'm super interested in this game and just the relationships that kind of uh come out of or just like the interactions that come out of this matchup because i, I other than in like a super bowl matchup i I've, I've never been more interested than like the off field stuff
1: it was so nice of you to buy me tickets to this game too. I mean, I can't believe you did that for me. I, I can't wait to go tomorrow.
0: Oh, yeah. That's funny.
1: I got all my Bud lights with the Path logos on them and everything.
0: Our listeners are like, man, Ben is the, Ben is like the greatest. Like he's such a nice they're, guy. I got his co-host
1: tickets. For the tomorrow. record, they're like the cheapest seats are like a thousand bucks a seat. So
0: <laughs> I did not get Connor tickets to this game. Unfortunately, I would have loved to go, but he this... got me zoom tickets. He got me couch tickets. <laughs> Both teams heading into this matchup coming off of losses last week. They're both highly motivated. So there's really not a motivation factor. I think that favors one way or the other here. Um, really the, the bucks have been an excellent team to start the year had, they just ran into a Goliath opponent last week against the Rams. And so while the Rams might be the first ranked team in the NFL, maybe the bucks are the second. And the Patriots had a disappointing matchup against last, uh, last week against the new Orleans saints. Um, you look at the offense for the for the Bucks here. Brady's ranked first in PFF passer rating right now. He's through the first 3 weeks. He's got the he also has the lowest average time to throw on dropback. So he's getting rid of the ball really quickly. And so every analyst kind of stresses the importance of, of pressuring Brady and making him uncomfortable, but that's almost impossible when he's getting rid of the ball so fast and accurately. I mean, Patriots, they have their work cut out for them. No Stefan Gilmore in the secondary. The New England secondary, they haven't been good without him. Um, and, and it's it's going to be really tough for them to slow down Brady and Tampa Bay. I mean, they're getting back Antonio Brown this week. He was on the COVID protocol, out with pro, COVID protocol last week. But no Gronk, so I think it's kind of a, a wash or maybe a little bit – And I think Brown might be a little bit better to stretch the field, especially against New England, but – I. I have a hard time seeing how New England's offense is going to be able to keep up with Brady's offense and the Buccaneers offense, because clearly I think Brady is going to be highly motivated in this game. He's going to want to throw four touchdowns, 500 yards. Like he's going to want, he's going to want to break the passing touchdown record. He's, he's, I think what two away from doing that. So really a fun matchup here, but I think unfortunately for my Patriots, it, it it's going to end up in a, in a loss here. <laughs>
1: I'm going the same way, buddy.
0: Connor just flashed a little Buccaneers sticker in in the in the screen. For, <laughs> for <everybody listening. laughs>
1: um Yeah, the, I think that while we're optimistic about New England's future, Mac Jones' future, he's clearly not a finished product. You know, they're still figuring out a lot on that offense. James White being out takes away that security blanket, uh, and you know, Damien Harris, while he's been very effective early on in the season. Tampa Bay's rushing defense is extremely difficult to run the ball against. So I think that the Patriots will be relying on the passing game. And I think that's a lot of pressure to put on a young quarterback facing the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with the Bucs in this one. Tom Brady looks like a man on the mission. He wants to break either the passing yardage record or the touchdown record this year, something with that 17 game season. So I think Tampa Bay is able to really put the screws to him and and get a, a nice revenge victory for tom brady here against bill belichick and the uh the dark side over there
0: i don't think the patriots fans i mean i i'll speak for myself and what i've heard from a lot of other patriots fans is you know we wish brady well you know it sucks to see him in another another jersey another team but like you still love the guy he brought he brought six champions seven championships to the patriots and or six sorry and uh trying the I can't keep track of my my own rings. I was, I was oh my god. Ben's got dementia. <laughs> the uh the the Brady stuff is just like it sucks to see him. It's like it, it, it's it, it's you got to let him go, but like you really just like you root for the guy and you just he's the greatest of all time and you it's hard it's hard to cheer against him. I think like if you don't root for him, it's really hard to root against him at the very least. And I think it's... He's amb- so cool. He's so freaking cool.
1: <laughs> it's going to be
0: hard. It's going to be hard to see him in New England, not in a Patriots jersey. So I'm really looking forward to seeing just the, the interactions between everybody and how that goes. You <laughs> know was funny too, what I heard I heard on NFL Live on ESPN, Brady kind of pulled like a Belichick chess, chess move. Um, he took the Buccaneers and he, he took them into the, fee- into the stadium, into Gillette actually. Um, and usually they practice on the outskirts. They have a practice field on the outside of the field. He brought the team into the, the stadium so that to get like a sense of the wind patterns because their kicking's been struggling a little bit lately. The offense wanted to hear some of like how the noise is going to sound in the stadium. Yeah. kind of like be... like a Belichick move. It Seemed like you know the Patriots are all about like practice conditions. if yeah. if, it, if you're going to be in the snow, practice in the snow. Those types of things. Brady kind of took a book, a, a a card out of Belichick's hand, uh, playbook, and I, I thought that was re- a pretty uh, interesting chess move from from Brady and the Bucks this environment is going to be
1: incredible. The crowd noise. I mean, I, everybody's going to be so excited at least, you know, when, while it's still competitive early on in this game, because, you know, I, I actually think that, this minus seven line is is quite generous to the Patriots and probably a little bit too light, uh, maybe factoring some home field advantage. But you know, I like what Brady's doing. You're right because he's trying to take away that home field advantage and some of the things that make Gillette so unique as a stadium, being outdoors in New England with one of the most rabid fan bases. So cool. That's a that's
0: a great call. I like it. A very, no. a very veteran and savvy move. Yeah. All right. So we're both minus seven on the Bucks here. All right, next matchup, Monday Night Football. Last one on our docket, Las Vegas Raiders taking on the L.A. Chargers. Chargers favored by three in Monday Night Football. The over-under point total, 51 and a half. An excellent matchup of AFC opponents, AFC West opponents here on Monday Night. What are your thoughts here with the Raiders and Chargers? in a big game for two teams that are really rolling hot here heading to week four.
1: For me, this one's pretty easy to to go on the chargers, Surprisingly, I, I think that oh Ben, you're sipping on a Dunkin' Donuts beautiful looking iced coffee right now, Starbucks. and I oh Starbucks,
0: Dunkin' you Dunkin' doesn't it, it, it's it's not the same on the West Coast. I'm telling you, I was gonna say you've abandoned your East Coast it's roots. I, I've never seen you with the
1: Starbucks. We used to hit Dunkies all the time, dude. That thing looks delicious. Uh, you completely sidetracked <laughs> me with my ADHD brain. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get an iced coffee after this <laughs> you're from Dunkin'. Just to, you were talking about battery back <laughs> Uh, to get back <laughs> on the west coast and the Chargers there I, I think the Raiders are totally overrated I get that they're three 0, but they've been in some battles and I don't think the Dolphins were that good they were able to squeak that one out you know Derek Carrs benefited from two Ot games so his passing totals look way exaggerated I don't think he's quite the MVP candidate I think it's a nice story I'm happy for the for the Raiders I'm happy for Carr that they're winning but I think the Chargers coming off a win against the Chiefs and I've been saying it all, all along too I thought they were one of the best teams coming into the season very underrated, and I think they've proven it so far year to date in in the games that they've played. And I think that you know minus three is way too little. I think the Chargers win this one by a touchdown.
0: Yeah, I feel you here. Um, and I I'll, I'm taking the Chargers as well, but. One thing here is, you know, it's the game's in Los Angeles, but there really is not going to be a whole lot of home field advantage, unfortunately, for the Chargers. And that's kind of the joke with the Chargers. They're, they have they have very few fans here in Los Angeles, and it's kind of unfortunate for them because they're such a good team. So much optimism, especially with Justin Herbert, really developing into one of the league's best quarterbacks now. And the Raiders have a lot of fans in Los Angeles. There's going to be a lot of Raider fans here on Monday Night Football. So um, it's going to be at best 50-50 split. So there's really no home field advantage. But the Chargers, I'm more than happy to take three points here. I think they're the better team. The Raiders, you know, the public perception of them has been that their offense has been great. And the offense is really humming. And really, the the advanced stats don't really support that notion. Because, you know, they're 17th in offensive DVOA rankings right now. They're 13th in overall success rate on offense. 49% of their plays have been successful. The offense is really banked on big plays and stretching the Mm -hmm. field down, down the field. And the chargers have a pretty good secondary. I really like rookie cornerback Asante Samuel jr. I have loved what I've seen on him. One of my favorites uh, for one of my, my favorite, maybe three or four guys who I'm considering for offensive rookie of the year right now, early in the early going, Um, uh, sorry, defensive rookie of the year. Thank you. Um, had an excellent pick against Patrick Mahomes last week. The tip ball dove a really big interception early in that game, kind of shifted the, the momentum for the Chargers, something they needed because the Chiefs are a first half team that really relies on getting that, getting out to those early leads. So really like what I've seen from the Chargers is really what this comes down to. Um, and, and surprisingly enough, the Vegas defense has been really what's been fueling their early success. And that's the biggest surprise with Las Vegas. They rank 11th in defensive DV away right now. Two of their opponents, however, were really just not good on the offensive side. Pittsburgh and Miami. There's really no less statistically significant week in the NFL than week one. So the Raiders beat Baltimore week week one. But really, how much can you take away from that matchup? I mean, I know it's less than a month away, but week one always proves to be completely, you know... Difficult, really difficult week to gather too much um, right. re- results. The Steelers from. beat the
1: Bills week one. And that's exactly. kind of what we're saying. Like these coaches have months to scheme and, and, you know, they look different than they are the rest of the season because they can come up with a, a specific yeah. game plan in that week one matchup.
0: Yeah. So my thoughts here is just like maybe this is a little bit of some fool's gold with the Vegas defense because in our preseason analysis, we really just didn't really, we didn't like what we saw from the Vegas defense. We There was a lot of stuff that we were hinting at with Vegas that. We had a hard time imagining them having an above average unit on that side of the football. And right now, being ranked 11th in defensive DVOA, it might be their peak. Um, Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, who are really not high pedigree guys at this point in their careers, have been one of the league's best, two of the league's best defensive players. And they've been excellent on pass rush, on the edges, both of them edge rushers. Um, Neither really projected to be as effective as they have been. And so, keep I, I would definitely keep an eye on their performances going forward they could be a good indicator They both could be good indicators for potential ebb and flows of this defensive unit and if they're not able to keep it going um I I, I just I, I think this Raiders defense might be a little bit of full scold and I think that the Chargers might be able to expose some of those weaknesses and um I'm, yeah I'm and you know, one of the themes of a lot of my picks this week is that I'm fading a lot of the undefeated teams. I think there's a lot of undefeated teams that are going to get their first loss this week. I think this is another one. I like Chargers minus three here. I really love Herbert. I, I think I think he's an excellent quarterback, one of the league's best. And you look at the public here. They're really getting onto this Vegas bandwagon. 54, 54% of public bets are showing uh, are on Las Vegas, showing that people are believing this hot start. Gamblers are believing that Vegas is for real. Um, this is easily going to be their toughest test of the season so far. Chargers have a lot of momentums on their back after beating the Chiefs last week, uh, uh one of their main their main divisional opponent. Um, I think the Chargers really take handle take care of business here on Monday Night Football. It sounds like we're on the same page.
1: Go Chargers! Go.
0: <laughs> go Chargers! All right. Any anything else you want to add for this Monday Night matchup?
1: No, I, I think we have it well covered. I, I like. Herbert and Chargers definitely to, to keep their hot streak going. I think, uh, and I, to... I think we've had a little bit of fool's gold with Oakland.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. One thing to keep an eye on too is maybe the under might be uh, a, a tempting pick here under 51 and a half. That's a high point total. If the, uh, you know, both these two teams are, the, they're pretty highly heavily penalized early on this season. Chargers third most, most penalized team. The Raiders the fourth most, if they end up slowing the ball down or getting some pe- costly penalties uh, and that could bode well for under fifty one and a half because that's a lot of that's a lot of buffer there. Fifty one is is a high point total, so I mean, the unders, you know, having a good value early in the season, we talked about that at the top of the podcast. These two teams, you know, the the public perception of their offenses is so optimistic that it's kind of pushing that point total higher and higher. I think that maybe the under might be the value there. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. Let's dive into our last segment here for the podcast before we wrap it up. The DFS plays of the week. Connor, did you want to give some of the stats here from our DFS results to uh, through the first three weeks?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So last week, I had 130 points, came in the 43rd percentile, so top 50%. So in 50-50s, I would have cashed. You came in with 98 point two. so a tougher week for you for sure i uh, would not have cashed in that instance you know i we both had cooper cup in our lineup obviously a stud you were kind of let down by uh, A.J. Brown last week. Got the injury early Um, uh, Yep, injury early. Foster Moreau just missed Pater, unfortunately, so that long shot didn't pay off. And Tyson Williams uh, was a surprise bust for both of us, but yeah. I was also carried by strong performances and a bounce-back game from Clyde, and uh, obviously Tyler, and then uh, Corderell stayed hot, so uh, Patterson and my flex got me 16 there not a bad week. Um, so then 2021 year to date, I'm averaging 123 points, cashing 67% of the time. You are averaging 115 also cashing 67% of the time, but, uh, we're both held back by one low week, pulling our averages down, but obviously cashing two out of three weeks for both of us, it's, it's strong start and we hope that that can continue.
0: Definitely. All right. Let's go over our weekly lamps. Why don't I go first? We usually start off with yours. Let's switch it up this week. I like it. All right. I'm kicking it off with Sam Darnold at my quarterback position. Sam Darnold, $6,000. I'm saving a little bit of money here. I want my better values of the week. There are definitely overall better options at the quarterback position, but with that kind of value, just 6000 for a quarterback that faces a defense that – um is, is giving up a decent amount of pass yardage to start the year. I, I do like Dallas's, some of their secondary weapons, especially Trayvon Diggs, but I, if Dallas is going to score a lot of points, which I expect them to do, maybe uh, we see some good garbage time work here from Sam Darnold, or at least, you know, some uh, some offensive stretch, stretching the field on offense for the Panthers to try to keep up with Dallas's um, offense. So I like the over on that game. I like Sam Darnold in this matchup against the, the, uh, the, Cowboys. My running back two, my running back one spot. Sorry, Derek Henry, Facing the New York Jets, eighty eight hundred dollars. I'm paying up for Derrick Henry because, easily for me, the most elite option of the week. It's there's no A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones. It's going to be early and often, almost every every game. Derrick Henry's is going every play. Derrick Henry is going to be involved in, and so it's going to be all Derrick Henry facing a team that the New York Jets are not a team that people are afraid of they're giving up i think what the in in the mid-20s one of the below average teams of opposing running backs um getting points from fantasy football perspective i like i like a lot of derrick henry this week give me nick chubb in my my rb2 spot cleveland browns taking on the minnesota vikings 70 uh seven thousand dollars i really like chubb and hunt in this matchup and like we talked about this in the last game i think chubb has an opportunity to have a big one in this game I'm giving some Stefan Diggs I'm in my wide receiver one spot, $7,600, one of the cheaper prices he's had so far facing the Houston Texans defense that nobody is afraid of at this point in the season. Diggs has been off to a little bit of a slow start, but Allen had a breakout week last week. I think it's Diggs' turn this week to have a big game. I really like Stefan Diggs heading to the season. He's seen a lot of targets still, seen a lot of air yardage usage as well. I think Diggs has a bounce back performance here in week four. I really like him in my wide receiver one spot. DK Metcalf is my wide receiver too. $7,200 for the big wide receiver in Seattle. I really like what I saw from Metcalf last week. Had a breakout performance. 106 yards, one touchdown. Um, $7,200 is, is not much for a receiver that could end up finishing as the wide receiver one on the week. Seattle and San Francisco kind of pose as well for an over in that matchup. I, especially with kind of a banged up Tyler Lockett, who's questionable heading to the game. I think he plays, but I think maybe they look DK's way more often than not because of the fact that Lockett's a little bit banged up. And then give me Kadarius Tony, my value of the week here, one of my values of the week in my wide receiver three spot. Your guy out of New York, some kind of a dart throw, only $3,300. And that's mainly why I have him here. But Tony is a, is a guy that has a high draft pedigree, was slow to start, has been super slow to develop into, into a role on the offense. No Sterling Shepard in this game. No uh, Darius Slay. The options are going to be there. He's going to be on the field more often than not. And just $3,300. I know it's not a great matchup, but I think it's just kind of a force play here. And he looked good in his in his limited amount of work so far. He's someone that I was highly optimistic heading into the season, but just things continue to get stacked against him. I think maybe we start to see some of that optimism show itself here in week four, a little bit more of a dart throw, but someone that maybe is, um, going to surprise people in DFS plays because of the fact that he's so cheap and not a lot of people are going to be on him this week. And then give me my tight end position. Dawson Knox kind of the same reasons with Diggs, You know, Houston's the bad pass defense. There's just $3,600. Knox has been a good red zone target for Josh Allen. And he's someone that is likely to see another red zone target or two in this game, especially with Houston's defense and just being so bad this year. Um, my flex play, I'm going with Michael Carter with the New York Jets. I got both running backs in this game. And what it is with Carter, the the a lot of the advanced stats are showing that Carter is the better running back in this in this New York Jets backfield. And it, it's not even close. And what I what I want to see here, and I think this is going to be more of just a, an optimistic play, is I think Carter is going to start to get more and more usage as the season goes on. I like Carter as one of my better values of the week. Um, he's running the ball 56% of the time as is successful um, last week against, against Denver. And, you know, the jets have a 48% success rate running the ball. So their defense, I mean, their offense while really struggling, they're running the ball pretty well still. And so I think this year, this week um, is going to be the first time they start to kind of steer towards that kind of bend, kind of you know accept the fact that maybe Zach Wilson isn't ready to stretch the field and be aggressive as a passer but maybe maybe they look to especially Tennessee's defense being very lackluster I think maybe they look to run the ball to their strength more I think Michael Carter is the one to do it so he's been really good this year uh I like his role to grow and especially in this week four matchup against a good uh a good a, a, a lousy defense against like like the Tennessee Titans and then give me the New York Jets in my defensive spot the cheapest defense of the week, just $2,000. Tennessee, really, I, I, like the, I like the under on their point total as a team. And uh, one of my better bets of the week, Tennessee under on their point total. I like the Jets' defense from just a value perspective. Like I said, cheapest of the week, Jet, um, uh, Titans without A.G. Brown, without Julio. Um, Derek Henry, e- even if he has a big game, can end up helping the, uh, the, the, the Jets' defense in terms of just um, – Lack of running points. The clock. running at the clock. Does he, it, what, what does the running back do? He, he gets tackled in bounds, and the clock keeps ticking. So I think that the, just the, this is more more or less just trying to find value across the the roster here. And I got some high end guys in my in my in my DFS lineup. And I think the Jets are going to be a defense that gets me at least a few points. I
1: like that lineup. I like that lineup. I have some similarities in the secondary lineup that I made, uh, but the one I'm going to submit, I'm starting off with Jalen hurts at quarterback. I think he's going to be playing from behind against Kansas city. He's going to be throwing the ball a lot and still. He has that safe floor when he scrambles. So I think he's going to be able to put up a lot of points. He's had that safe floor this season you know, 29 week one, 22 week two and 25 week three. So I'd like that trying to continue for him to put up at least 20 points. He's only 6,900. Derrick Henry also my running back one. I think he's so chalked with Christian McCaffrey out and he's just got a fantastic matchup against the Jets. So it's almost hard to get off of him and head to head lineups because he could just break a slate with a 50 point performance. My running back two is Cordero Patterson. Uh, 4,900. I like his passing game work in a PPR format. Back-to-back weeks, he's had uh, seven targets, so I like that trend to continue in a game against Washington where I think they're going to struggle to run the ball against that D-line and maybe some screen passes uh, for uh, Patterson there. My number one wide receiver has got to be Cooper Cup. He's my vicious player, and uh, in DFS, I think he is just one of the most reliable um, options, and he's only 7,800, so he's not at the top of the wide receiver board. So I, I love him there. Michael Pittman is my second wide receiver. He's back-to-back weeks with 12 targets. So if he's going to continue to get that target share, I think he's just a wonderful option for only 5,400. And then my wide receiver three is Rondale Moore. I'm going with the rookie there in the Mike game Moore. against the Rams, which, you know, you hear, you hear the Rams, and you're like, Oh, that's going to be a tough matchup for a wide receiver. But like you said, I think we see a lot of Jalen Ramsey matching up with their top option. Deandre Hopkins. So I think this is a week to fade Hopkins and look at some of those secondary receiver options uh, on the Cardinals, especially Rondale Moore, because he has the highest upside in terms of breaking a big play. After that, my tight end is Evan Ingram. So while you were looking for Kadarius Toney for a decent option on the Giants to save some money, I'm going to go with Ingram here at the tight end position. He's only 3,000. And I like Evan Ingram, you know, in his second game of the season. I think he's going to see a decent amount of targets with Darius Slayton off the field as well as Sterling Shepard. You know, Daniel Jones was looking at Sterling Shepard early and often. So I think there's going to be a lot of targets to be had in this offense. Um, Just want to bring up Kennedy Galladay is probably a decent option as well to see an increase in target share, but not not making my lineup this time around. David Montgomery is my flex. He's only 5,800. He's looked great running the ball on the ground. The Chicago offense last week just looked horrible from every aspect, but against Detroit, I think it's going to be a nice bounce back week for at least David Montgomery, somebody who I think has proven to be a reliable option, at running back in plus matchups. And then finally, my defense is the Colts. They're going against Miami, whether Jacoby process the quarterback or to uh, I think this offense just of Miami hasn't looked that great. While the Colts D hasn't been fantastic as of yet. I think we, uh, you know, we thought they were going to kind of have potential this year as a defensive unit. They looked really good last year. And I think this might be a game where they can get right against Miami in in a poorer offense.
0: I like it. I really like the Rondell Moore play. I think last week kind of he was heading into week three um, with a lot of optimism because he had a big week, two, And then he had, you know, what people thought was a down week in week three. He was he was like half it. a yard. He was half a yard away from scoring a touchdown. They, they're designing plays for him. Um, someone who i've been high on throughout the years to start and uh, i really like him as a value play and and across all fantasy formats i think he's an excellent player that's his role is going to only grow he had a he had a a designed uh, jet sweep last week at the goal line and just missed a score uh, which would have saved his fantasy day so i like that play against the rams this week
1: yeah kind of a guy they like to manufacture touches for just somebody who's very explosive and I think that's kind of what we have hope for in the future for Kadarius Tony and the Giants. So if he gets it going this week with some opportunities, you could see a lot of screen passes. And when a guy is as quick as Tony or Rondale Moore and in that explosive, it only takes one play. And uh, that's what Surely. we're kind of hoping for with those guys in our lineups as cheaper
0: options. Surely. All right. Running through my lineup one last time. Sam Darnold, Derek Henry, Nick Chubb, Stefan Diggs, DK Metcalf, Kadarius Tony, Dawson Knox, Michael Carter, and the Jets defense. Give me what yours one last time, Connor.
1: Jalen Hurts, Derrick Henry, Cordell Patterson, Cooper Cup, Rondale Moore, Michael Pittman Jr., Evan Ingram, David Montgomery, and rounding out my roster with the Indianapolis
0: Colts. I like <laughs> it, man. All right, any last words before we wrap it up here heading into Week Four? Really looking forward to this, these these games. Really fun.
1: Yeah. we're going to publish the DFS article again, uh, on the website and we're going to highlight, you know, just beyond our main roster, some, some value plays and some long shots for tournament lineups, uh, you know, try to call out some guys that will have lower ownership odds or some guys who we think just can, can help your roster out. If you're looking, uh, to, uh, you know, find a, a longer shot tournament play that, guys that's like, not so guys uh, like Guys like Kadarius. Not Tony. So guys like Kadarius exactly. Tony. <laughs> Somebody who's going to have lower ownership but has a chance to boom and and maybe you know have you win a million dollars. That's that's always the hope,
0: right? Exactly. All right, man. Had a lot of fun here. Head to week four. Really exciting day of football ahead of us tomorrow. Um, I can't wait to see New England facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Brady back. I'm, I'm, I can't wait for that. It's gonna be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, i am excited to watch uh tom brady come into new england and smoke the pats and you know i'm i'm energized for this podcast too because we're recording and it's the middle of the day here it's not
0: midnight so this is a nice change of pace as well <laughs> for sure i bet all right buddy that's gonna do it here for episode 83 of vicious talk with benny p had a lot of fun talking about week four listen to us for week five after the slate of games Don't uh, forget to subscribe, rate, and review Vicious Talk with Manny P on all your podcast platforms. Really appreciate all your support. Also, go to allthingsanalysis.com for, like Connor said, our DFS plays of the week. Uh, We do our best bets again. Um, We're looking for a bet to rebound at the last two weeks. We're kind of down down weeks for myself. um, I think this is a good slate of games for us to bounce back, Connor.
1: Absolutely. Every week you get a little bit more data, a little bit more information, and that always helps us analysts out. And, you know, the, the individual player performances have been strong in terms of our analysis and you know, the team performances will come. You know, we had some surprising outcomes so far, so a lot of fun yet to be had. I can't wait for week four. All
0: right, buddy. That's going to do it here for Vicious Talk with Benny P. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious?